being good Christians, you've brought them with you, and we're in Genesis, but I won't tell you which chapter that we're in, unless you've already read the, uh, read the bulletin. Um, I just counted you, and there are about 45 or 50 of us here. I wonder what the average age is. Let's say it's, oh, dare I say it's 60. All the young people have left, so I can say it's 60, I think. Um, so that adds up to about, or multiplies to about 3,000 years of life experience in this room. 3,000 years of life experience. And probably dozens and scores and even hundreds of life lessons that you've learned. Life-defining moments that have changed you or change the direction of your life and inevitably change those around you. Does, it, does anyone witness with that? Yeah? Okay, that's good. I wonder if you're in a life-defining moment now. I wonder if you're struggling with something. I wonder if you're wrestling with something it may be just something in the family, it may be to do with finances, it may be with some uh, crossroads in your life where you've got to make a decision, which way do I go? Or is it to do with your relationship with God? Are you struggling, are you wrestling with something that God is requiring of you and it's not an easy decision for you? You struggle, you wrestle. You've been there before. We've all been there before, haven't we, where we wrestle. I did not fall off the tree into Jesus' hands simply. It was a wrestling match. It was a struggle. Fortunately, God didn't give up. And uh, so here I am today. But every day, perhaps, but certainly many times in our lifetimes, we, in, in our lives, we experience those crossroad times when we wrestle with something and if we do fall into the hands of God, if we do decide to go his way, we find that our lives are redefined, our characters changed, our goals are different, etc., etc. In 1923 and 1924, there was a, a man in his middle 30s who was in prison. He had a friend in prison with him. And he dictated his life story to this other man. And he thought that uh, he would lay out his plans for the future of his country. And he gave this book a title. He called it four and a half years of struggle against lies, stupidity, and cowardice. But the publishers thought it would be much better if you shortened it. And in German, that title was Mein Kampf. My struggle, my battle. And the man who wrote that was Adolf Hitler. The man he dictated it to was Rudolf Hess. Mein Kampf, my struggle. Rachel couldn't have babies. She's one of Jacob's two wives. 
The other two were concubines. Um, and so she gave her maidservant, whose name escapes me for the moment, but it's either, I think it's Bilhar. And uh, through Bilhar, she had one child called Dan. And then through Bilhar, she had a second child, and she called him Naphtali, which is a brilliant name if you want to go through life called My Struggle, because that's what Naphtali means. This newborn son represented Rachel's victory in her struggle against her sister, Leah, who couldn't help but have babies. And when you add it all up, you know that there were 12 sons and one daughter. My struggle, Mein Kampf, my struggle, my struggle. And this morning in our series on Genesis, we come to the point in Jacob's life where he has the greatest struggle he's ever been through. Jacob is on the run. He's on the run from Uncle Laban now. He's been on the, the run uh, from Brother Esau a long time. He's on the run from God, but he's also on the run for himself. He's trying to get away from the person he is, from the sort of character that he has. Augustine of Hippo said, uh, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. And Jacob has this restless heart. He's trying to find himself. He may not realize that, of course, but ultimately when we get to chapter 32 of Genesis, which is where we are this morning, verse 22, we're going to read it in a moment, that's where he's at. He's at this life-defining moment where he's struggling with what his life has been thus far. Uh, the thing that he depends on, of course, are his own wits, his own trickery, his own guile, his own manipulation of others, and in that sense, he's truly living up to his name. Jacob, the grabber, the cheat, the trickster, the manipulator, the one who's always there to grab something that he's not meant to have. And here, in this chapter, in this passage in this chapter, we, we find that Jacob is up against this huge cliff face called God. Let, let's read what, what happens in the text. So Genesis chapter 32 and verse 22. That night, Jacob got up. Have you had nights like that? Where you can't sleep, you're working things through, with God, may not be your daughter keeping you awake all night, but you're, 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 you're struggling, you're struggling. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two maidservants and his eleven sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he's sending them to a place of safety, he sent over all his possessions, 
all his livestock, all his goods. Remember, he's escaped from Laban. All that he has, he's brought with him. And he leaves it behind in a place of safety so that he is now utterly alone. Verse 24, so Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. Imagine that, hour after hour after hour, Jacob is wrestling with a man. Wrestling. Deep in his heart, he's struggling with the truth about himself. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, so that his hip was wrenched, as he wrestled with the man. This is a, a wrestling match. I don't know. Yes, you're all old enough, aren't you, to remember Saturday morning re wrestling on the TV? Of course, that was forbidden. You didn't watch it, of course. But um, Mick McManus and Big Daddy and people like that. And there were things that they were allowed to do, things they were not allowed to do, and things which they did do. And this man, we can put a capital M at the beginning of the word, if you like, this man who Jacob realizes is God himself, is losing. He is allowing Jacob to exert all his strength and energy. And then God, in this wonderful sense of irony, he commits an illegal move in wrestling. He just very casually dislocates Jacob's hip. Isn't that interesting? God comes down to where Jacob is. He speaks to Jacob, as it were, in the same language that Jacob understands. And God's like that, isn't he? He comes down to where we are. In Jesus, of course, he came right down to where we are. And when God speaks to us, he usually speaks in ways that we understand because that's the whole point of the encounter, isn't it? That God speaks to us in ways that we can understand. And Jacob is now crippled. But he's hanging on to this other man for, because he will not let this man go until he receives a blessing. He's, uh, th then the man said, this is verse 26, th then the man said, let me go for it's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? This is such a significant point in the story because Jacob can now hear himself say what his own name and character and destiny is. I am the cheat. I am the trickster. I am the swindler. I am the one who manipulates. I'm the one who grabs heels and gets out of the womb first. I'm Jacob. And that must have been such a mind-blowing experience because he is recognizing, perhaps for the first time, in the presence of God, with nothing else to distract him, who he really is. Have you had those times when you've been utterly alone with God? There's no TV to distract you. There's no music to distract you. You've all, all the books, the papers, everything's away. And you are there alone with God. 
and you begin to realize the sort of person you are. Have you had times like that? Are you having a time like that now? Are you, are, are you moving through some difficult time where God is facing you up with something about yourself that you'd rather not accept as true? Jacob is owning up. I'm Jacob. I'm the cheat. I'm the supplanter. I'm the one who grabs. And so Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. He renames him there and then. He takes away the name he was given at birth. And now, in this sense, Jacob has a second birth. He has a new identity, Israel, which means, well, gosh, <laughs> it means all sorts of things. Um, I like to think of it as being the man mastered by God. God's prince under God's authority. Another way of understanding it is the man who prevailed against God. The, the, the man who in his own strength seemed to be getting the, the better of God. And then with just one twist of his wrist, God was in charge again. And Jacob was a cripple. But he's now Israel. And instead of being master of his own destiny, instead of living his life his own way by his own rules, Jacob is now the one who has been mastered by God. He's now the one who gladly recognizes that God has a call on his life. God has a better way for him. And if you're a Christian today, you at some stage in your life and probably on other times after that, you came to a place where you laid down the mastery of your own life and handed it over to God. Towards the end of Jesus' life, when he's on trial, before the crucifixion, the crowds said, we will not have this man to reign over us. The disciples were those who said, just as we were reminded in someone's prayer, I think, this morning, uh, where else can we go because you alone have the words of eternal life? And there was that life-defining moment when you became a Christian, when you handed over the control of your life to the Lord Jesus. It may have been recently. It may have been many, many years ago. But there have been times, I'm sure, when you face something new, some new challenge, some new temptation, some new option that had never been on the cards before, and you had to make that decision. Which way am I going to go? Am I going to do my own thing or am I going to follow God's way? It says in Hebrews, in a number of different places, that Jesus himself learned obedience through what he suffered. And you can think of at least two places where Jesus suffered. Where Jesus was under pressure, I'm not talking about the cross, talking about other times in his life when Jesus was under pressure he was facing enormous temptation 
And I don't believe that obedience was automatic with Jesus. He was tempted in every way that we are, yet without sin. And if he was able, well, as we believe he is, able to identify fully with us, he wrestled with the choices before him in the same way that we do. But because he was filled with the Holy Spirit and totally aligned to God's will in his life, he came to that place where he said, God, I'm going your way. Imagine the temptations spread over six weeks, 40 days and nights. Six weeks of temptation. You're not eating, you're hungry, you're weak, and there's this cosmic struggle, if you like, of Satan offering Jesus all sorts of opt-outs. And I don't think Jesus said, oh, no, I'm not, not doing that, I'm not doing that, I'm not doing, doing that. I think, like you and me, he wrestled with it in his own heart and soul. He wrestled, he struggled. But such was his dedication and devotion and commitment to God that he came to that place where he chose God's way. In the garden, we find it's exactly the same. He cries out to God, take this cup from me. It's more than I can bear. Take this cup from me. And the anguish within him, according to one gospel writer, is so, so great that blood breaks out from his pores. He's in such anguish. But he comes to that place where he says, God, I'm doing it your way. Have you had times like that? Where you've struggled, been te tempted to walk away from God, tempted to throw your Christian faith away, tempted to do your own thing. But the fact that you're here today tells us that you came to a place sooner or later that you would go God's way. You would follow his leading. He would be master and not you. So the man said, this is God speaking, your name will no longer be Jacob but Israel because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. But what God is saying implicitly in that is from now on you will live in that victory through weakness. And that's the same for us. We don't win victories in our own strength. We win victories as we commit ourselves to the might of Christ. And then Jacob said, please tell me your name. Come on, we're sharing today. Come on, I've told you mine. Now you tell me yours. But God maintains his mystery and his majesty. He says, you don't need to know my name. You don't need to know my name. Why do you ask me my name? That's irrelevant. All you need to know, says God, as it were, is that I am now the source of your blessing. Because it goes on to say in that same verse, then he blessed him. In the past, the source of Jacob's success has been his own wily ways his own craft, his own craftiness, his own scheming and 
wheeler dealing. I like to think of him as a little bit of a Del Boy in the Old Testament. He's that sort of char character. But God has met him and exposed him and showed him that the source of his blessing is now to be God. Anyone here on the receiving end of God, God's blessing? Even today? You've been blessed today through your own devices, through your own scheming, through your own wisdom, through your own manipulation of life's events. No, you've been blessed. I've been blessed because of God's overwhelming grace. God's love poured out unconditionally, expecting nothing in return. But because we're so overwhelmed by God's grace, we surrender ourselves to the Lordship of Christ. Jacob is a changed man. And it goes on to say, So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life is spared. Here's a man who has encountered the living God. He's seen him face to face. And he hasn't died. He hasn't been killed. He hasn't been zapped by the glory of God. He is still alive. This man is in shock and he's full of awe. Yet my life was spared. As it were in the spirit, we have each seen God face to face. We encountered him at the cross. And because of what God did at the cross, our lives have been spared. You, you and I are saved because of what Jesus did on the cross. And Jesus hung there, uh, beaten to a pulp, as David re reminded us earlier, um, and God had to hide his face from what was happening. God remained silent. God did not come and rescue Jesus from the cross. Jesus had committed himself fully to becoming sin and dying in our place. What, what a hero. What a man. Where else can we go except to him? Verse 31. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Now and forever after, Jacob is a cripple. But that outward mark on his body represents an inward change in his heart, in his attitudes, in how he's going to conduct himself before God and before man. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. A little bit of dietary co comment from the way Jews celebrate Passover and so on. Um, so here we have a man who has wrestled with God. He seems to be winning and then God prevails. And now in his weakness he is living for God. It colours the, the way in, in which he is reconciled with brother Esau, which Steve's going to talk about ne next week. Um, 
it colours the whole of the rest of the Old Testament and therefore the New. Because now the people of God are known by this man's name, which means Prince of God, the children of Israel, living in the land of Israel. This one night encounter affected generations to come and changed the whole biblical horizon, the whole biblical landscape. Who knows? But today or next week, this coming week, if the decisions we make by deciding to go God's way and not our own, will they not also affect coming generations? Who knows? Who knows? It's amazing. If you have children and grandchildren, and some of you may have great-grandchildren, and uh, if you don't, don't have children, you are perhaps uh, on good terms with other people's ch children, you will know that the things that you do in your generation impact coming generations. Your decision to follow Christ affected the way you brought your children up. In the grace of God, they became Christians. And that affected the way they brought their children up. And so on and so, so on. One decision, one night spent wrestling with, with God changed the whole of biblical history. And who knows, but that same sort of thing might happen to you. I don't know how political you are. You've heard of Tim Farron? You all know who Tim Farron is? Sounds like a local plumber. No, no, he's the new leader of the Lib Dems. And he was quoted in Christianity magazine earlier this month. Oh, it's October now, isn't it? No, it's not. No, it's still September. This month, yes. And he say, says this. I became a Christian because the evidence for Christianity is staggeringly compelling. Of course, becoming a Christian is staggeringly inconvenient too, which is why I buried my head in the sand for so long. If I was to become a Christian, I would have to accept that I was not the master of my own destiny, that I needed to bow down to God who created me and who will judge me. I would also have to accept that I was a sinner and ask for forgiveness and turn to him as my master. That's really the point that Jacob came to. He was not master of his own destiny, but he accepted God and, as his new master, as the one that he was going to live for and serve. We have the opportunity to do, do the same. So that all future decisions that we face, all the temptations we go through, all the things that we wrestle with in the future, we've made that life choice that we're going to, sooner or later, in the wrestling, choose God's way. Now we're going to close by listening to uh, a song. It's called All That I Am. It's by an Irish Christian worship group called Rend collective 
And the words that I want you to listen to, which come towards the end, the words I want you to embrace with your whole heart is, it's only in surrender that I'm truly free. Jacob surrendered and became free. His name was changed. As we surrender to the mastery of God in all the choices we make, in what we do with our lives, we can become truly free. Thank you, Helen. One, two. on the altar now No holding back, no holding out In view of your matchless sacrifice Take every treasure, take this life
Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good pleasing and perfect will. Father, we bless you for the example of Jacob. We thank you that he came to that point in his life where he surrendered fully to you and your control over him. And we ask you now, gracious God, uh, that you'd help us to do the same. And when we face difficult decisions, when we are tempted to go our own way, I pray, Father, that as we struggle with finding the right way, we would know through the wisdom that comes from the Holy Spirit, through the strength that comes through the Holy Spirit, we would choose your way because we know that alone is the way that leads to life. We thank you, Father God, for your immense and intense patience and love with us, your love for us. And we ask you, I ask you, Father, for all those who might be struggling with uh, life-defining choices, even today, that you would help them by your Spirit to prevail and in their weakness to find your way through and to know your arms tightly around them as they walk forward with you. Father, we bless you for who you are and what you do in our lives. You are marvellous, O oh God. And we thank you for all your blessings now in the name of Jesus. Amen.